0: Two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but
1: probably should. I'm Kira Revin, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, there's a new treatment to help the paralyzed walk again. We get one step closer to nuclear fusion, and we hear why this Winter Olympics could be the last. But first, it was on this day in 2003 that Dolly, the world-famous first clone sheep, was put down at the tender age of six and a half. She was the first mammal cloned from an adult cell, leading to major advances thin stem cell research. It was late 2018 when images of David Mazzei were going global. David, who had been left paralysed by a partial spinal cord injury, suffered in a sports accident, got up from his wheelchair and began to walk with the help of a walker. This was the first proof that electrical stimulation could reactivate spinal neurons and work effectively in patients to help them move once again. It was a revolutionary system developed by the teams of Swiss professors Gregory Cortin and Jocelyn Bloch. Fast forward three years and a new milestone has just been reached. Here's Gregory.
2: Today, we develop new technology, more precise, that allow us to address the deficits of individuals with complete sensorimotor paralysis.
1: Having enhanced our system with more sophisticated implants controlled by AI software, these implants can now stimulate the region of the spinal cord that activates the trunk and leg muscles, as Jocelyn Blasch explains.
3: So we've designed a completely new electrode array that is wider and longer. I could implant this electrode array just under the vertebra and upon the spinal cord. And with this technology, we could access a broader region of the spinal cord in order not only to activate the leg muscles, but also the trunk muscles. We
2: stimulate the spinal cord with spatiotemporal stimulation pattern that reproduces the way the spinal cord is activated naturally by the brain. And to do so, we have a mini computer that the patient can carry with him and that delivers the stimulation and adjust them, synchronize them with the ongoing movement.
3: This technology is so precise that immediately after the surgery, the patient can walk and stand. But in order to use it outdoors, he needs to train to come with us and it will take some more time.
1: Thanks to this new technology, three patients with complete spinal cord injury were able to stand and walk again outside the lab. Some were even able to participate in activities like swimming, cycling and canoeing.
3: There are so many patients around the world who need a treatment to fight against paralysis.
2: We have reached the point where we are ready to develop this treatment. This is why we are collaborating with Onward Medical that is developing all the technology to turn this result into a treatment available throughout the world.
1: In a world first in animal welfare, Norway is to become the first country to ban the selective breeding of English bulldogs and King Charles Cavalier Spaniels citing cruelty to animals. Due to the shapes we bred these dogs to be, they often suffer from a range of health complications, ranging from headaches and skin infections to heart failure and arthritis. But how do we get here? All dogs distantly evolved from the powerful and majestic wolves, but as man and dog became closer friends, we were picky
4: with the ones we held dearest. If you want, you know, the, the dog to guard your Livestock, for example, you just slowly select the dogs that do that a little bit better than the other dogs that you have access to. So it's called selection, and you select for the characteristics that you want.
1: That's Dr. Catherine Meller. She runs the Kennel Club Genetic Centre, which is part of the Cambridge University Department of Veterinary Medicine. What Catherine is describing here isn't a new technique. We've done this to other animals, such as chickens and cows, and it's a process that's allowed for many of the veggies on our dinner table. But as for dogs,
4: we being humans, have bred them, shaped, literally shaped them um, to be, the, the, to do the jobs that we, we we want them to do. And so, you know, we've got dogs that, that run very fast and catch things for us. We've got dogs that herd, we've got dogs that guard, um, you know, we've got dogs that are just very good at being companions, um, all of those things. Um, so we've selected them to behave in certain ways and to look certain ways. And until you know relatively recently, most dogs worked for a living in some way or another. Um, but now most dogs don't work for a living. Um, they are companions. And therefore there is no selective pressure on those dogs to be be very functional. And here lies the problem with the dogs that Norway wants to ban. So bulldog, um, yeah, so that's what we call a brachycephalic breed, which's got a very flat face. Um, so they have a lot of breathing breathing problems. And the problem arises when a lot of the soft tissue that's inside the, the nose and the muzzle, you know, that effectively gets, there's nowhere for it to go. So it gets sort of pushed down the back of the dog's throat. That means there's no space in
1: their airways. They also tend to overheat in the hot weather because planting is all the more difficult with their blocked
4: airways. But the bulldog's problems don't end there. Just the overall shape of the head um, gives them a lot sort of eye eye problems. So they have very shallow eye sockets, which means that they can't blink very effectively. Obviously, you just got to look at it. It's very wrinkly. And um, so have they have get an awful lot of skin problems. Things kind of grow in the wrinkles. As with the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, the big issue is
1: their heart. Up to 90%
4: of these dogs will develop mitral valve disease. They tolerate it to a certain extent, but at some point of their life, they will develop congestive heart failure.
1: It's clear these dogs aren't able to live their lives to the fullest because of these built-in health complications. But English Bulldog and King Charles Cavalier Spaniel aren't the only ones. Catherine thinks a flat-faced pug and French Bulldog are also potential
4: contenders for the list. The condition, it's it's called BOAS, which is Brachycephalic Obstructive Airway Syndrome. Um, And yeah, pugs pugs and French Bulldogs kind of lead, lead the charge, certainly for that condition. So i personally think it's all about education encouraging breeders to prioritize health and looks and doing what it takes to um you know provide that encouragement um and then also educating the public about some of the some of the health conditions you know these these dogs are, are likely to get it's a very tough challenge because people like these dogs but I guess, you know, rewards need to be given to the breeders who do, who do do the right thing. And yeah, it's all about putting measures in place, whatever's necessary to encourage breeders to prioritise health. You know, we've bred the dogs to look like this. We can, we can breed them in the opposite direction if we want to. Uh, it's all about just selecting the healthy dogs for breeding.
1: Still so to come on this morning, 7th Sunday, the first glimpse at nuclear fusion and a major step in robot surgery. Scientists in the UK have set a new record for generating energy from nuclear fusion, the same process that powers the sun, seen as a potential future source of near-limitless power. The joint European Taurus, or JET for short, is an experimental fusion machine near Abingdon in Oxfordshire. It generated around 59 megajoules or 11 megawatts of energy, enough to power around 10,000 homes in a five-second burst. Until recently, this kind of thing was just science fiction. Talking to Sky News, Chief Executive of the UK Atomic Energy Agency Professor Ian Chapman explained why this is so important. This is a
5: quest. It matters so much to find a sustainable form of energy for for the planet. And over the last few years, we've had a bunch of hurdles, challenges that we've had to overcome. The the results today show that we can do that and we can overcome all those hurdles, those challenges. That's why it's so important to us.
1: Fusion's potential is enormous. It's the process that powers our sun and stars. Its fuel is in limitless supply. And unlike nuclear fission, which runs conventional nuclear plants, there's no long-lived waste. When nuclear fission, atoms of radioactive metals split, releasing energy in the form of heat. When nuclear fusion, two different forms of hydrogen fuse together, making helium. This releases four times more energy than conventional nuclear fission. It has the potential to transform civilization, but the practicalities of making fission a viable energy source are still huge. At Jet, for example, they need more energy to achieve fusion than they get from it, but it has proved the science is developing the tools needed for the next fusion machine. Scientists say that the machine will be the final step before a commercial reactor. Renanda Rimini is a physicist at JET and she thinks the only thing standing in her way is commitment.
4: We have shown them that this can work from an engineering point of view, from a physics point of view. The challenge is there. They cannot hide. But we've shown them that this is possible. Now, take it up and take it seriously.
1: For years, the world of medicine has been steadily advancing the art of robot-assisted procedures, allowing doctors to enhance their technique inside the operating theatre. Now, US researchers say a robot has successfully performed keyhole surgery on pigs, all on its own without the guiding hand of a human. Enter Star, the smart tissue autonomous robot. It carried out laparoscopic surgery to connect two ends of an intestine in four pigs. According to Axel Krieger from John Hopkins University, the robot absolutely smashed the procedure.
5: We did a comparison study to human surgeons, uh, both uh, using manual laparoscopic surgery and then also uh, you know, current state-of-the-art robot-assisted surgery where the operating surgeon sits on the console and performs this uh, in a teleoperated mode. And in both control studies against a manual and a robot-assisted surgery, our STAR robot outperformed the surgical quality. Uh, what we measured is the consistency of the uh, spacing and placement of each sutures. So, you know, if you want to achieve, let's say, a three millimeter spacing, how close to that uh, spacing are you actually between sutures? That translates directly to burst pressure and how stable that anastomosis is after after the surgery. And the second improvement that we showed uh, is that in manual uh, surgery surgeons would often place a a needle uh, then not like the spot where it ends up and pull it back out and that of course causes uh, some tissue damage that's not good uh, for the patient. And in our robotic system we reduced uh, that uh, amount of false needle placement dramatically.
1: Once the study tested the robot's ability to connect intestines, Axel says the possibilities don't stop there.
5: We foresee this technology to be not just applicable to suturing, uh, where we worked in uh, this uh, study, but also to other soft tissue surgery. So imagine a precision tumor resection with always the correct margin, uh, but then also applications in trauma surgery, where you might have a robotic system uh, that is not just in a hospital, but maybe uh, in an emergency vehicle and can already initiate a life saving care on the way to the hospital. Yeah, we are really excited about the potential uh, to translate this not just from preclinical studies, but to clinical studies. Uh, we think this can really democratize access to the best health care and get consistent uh, results to everybody. We foresee, you know, in the next uh, four or five years uh, that we are able to do the first in human studies uh, with this technology.
1: So to come on the Sunday 7, why climate change is threatening the Olympics and why you might be seeing daffodils right now, right after this.
0: You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places.
1: As the 2022 Winter Olympics get underway, scientists are warning that the future of the Games is under threat because of climate change. For the first time in Olympic history, the Beijing Winter Olympics is using almost 100% artificial snow. Beijing has little to no natural snowfall in the winter and yet is now staging 109 winter sporting events. To transform this terrain, organisers have used almost 400 snow guns to churn up and shoot out artificial snow. Whilst organisers are able to produce snow artificially, a new report from Lockborough University warns that this could be putting athlete safety at risk. Madeleine Orr is Lockborough sports ecologist and co-author of the study. She
0: spoke to VOA News. In sports like biathlon um, or cross-country skiing or any of the freestyle events where an athlete is flinging themselves into the air, flipping around and falling, you would want the surface to be a little softer. And The problem with artificial snow is that it's about 70% ice compared to natural snow, which is about 30% ice. And so the surface is much, much harder. critics say that the climate of not only Beijing,
1: but also previous hosts Sochi and Pyeongchang are unsuitable to host the Winter Olympics. However, even high-altitude mountain ski resorts that have traditionally hosted the Games are at risk because of climate change
0: the northeast of the U.S., for example, eastern Canada, uh, we are losing significant amounts of snow there. And then in places like the Rockies and the Alps, we just don't have quite as much as we used to. So the challenge moving forward is going to be where can we put these events? And with the Winter Olympics, we're already kind of there. Using artificial snow also causes environmental damage. Previous research has shown that that can be damaging to local wildlife. Um, But we also expect that, you know, when you're creating that much snow, the Energy usage is extraordinary, uh, the amount of water is extraordinary, in this Olympics we're um, expecting 49 million gallons of water to be used. Whilst Chinese organisers
1: promise games will be carbon neutral, that might not be enough to save them. The Lockbury University report warns that by 2050, fewer than half of the locations that have hosted the Winter Olympics in the past will have viable snowfall. Plants in the UK are flowering almost a month earlier than they did over two centuries ago. That's according to a new study led by Cambridge University Professor Ulf Berngen. Researchers scoured over 419,000 recordings of first flowering dates of 400 plant species and compared them with historical temperature records which have shown the climate getting warmer. Ooh,
7: surprises are first of all this huge shift of a month rather than a couple of days. The second is absolutely strong control of temperature. So neither precipitation, rainfall, nor day lengths or any other environmental factor plays a role. It is pure temperature in this period between January and April. And uh, since temperatures are increasing, we have this earlier shift.
1: Earlier flowering could increase the risk of frost damage and threaten other species like insects, birds and other wildlife that depend on the flowering of plants at specific times.
7: There is no doubt that everything is changing it wouldn't be a problem if everything changes at the same pace but we believe that this is not the case some parts have the ability to they are more sensitive they have the ability to respond quickly whereas others are much slower and this then comes to what we call ecological mismatch
1: following the results of this study Berngen will look at the impact of earlier flowering on the broader ecosystem I'm gonna take The African Company says it's made the first mRNA COVID-19 vaccine on the African continent. The company African Biologics says it has used the Moderna data to design, develop and produce the shot at lab scale. It will mean a cheaper, patent-free version of the shot. The World Health Organization hired the company last year as one of several chosen in a pilot program to help low- and middle-income countries crack the code of COVID vaccines. UN Health official Charles Gore spoke to Reuters and says this could help change perceptions of African nations' capabilities.
6: If this project
2: shows that Africa can take cutting edge technology and produce cutting edge products with it, that will banish this idea,
1: Africa can't do it. Afrogen used the publicly available sequence of Moderna's mRNA vaccine. However, it is a uniquely designed vaccine. The WHO launched the project after Pfizer, Biotech and Moderna declined the request to share tech and expertise. They hope their hub in Cape Town will help overcome vaccine inequality and Afrogen hope the vaccine will be tested on humans before the end of the year. This
4: has been the Sunday 7. However you're
1: listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend.
6: Written, produced and published by Daph Doris.